Welcome to the How Institute for Societies podcast, How Conversations, where we talk with courageous and authentic leaders about how we can build and nurture a culture of moral leadership throughout society. What does it mean to be a moral leader today? Who has moral authority in our society? What should we expect of our leaders during a crisis? And what are the moral leadership frameworks our leaders are using to navigate through these challenging times? These are just some of the nuanced questions our hosts cover in their discussions with CEOs, military generals, educators, philanthropists, and other leaders about the importance of moral and ethical decision-making. And now, here's the Howe Institute for Society founder and executive chairman and the host for today's podcast, Dove Seidman. Hello, I'm Dove Seidman, and for this episode, I spoke with my friend Angela Ahrens. Angela is an incredibly inspirational person who has always endeavored to put her heart and humanity at the center of business and all of her endeavors. Her list of accomplishments is long. She's the former senior vice president of Apple Retail. She's the former CEO of Burberry. She's also a member of the Howe Institute Board of Directors, and she recently joined Save the Children International as their chair of the board. Some of you may know Angela from the uplifting TED Talk she gave on the power of human energy. I believe we need positive energy to be channeled, to help counterbalance all of the negative, disruptive energy out there right now. I think we need it to remove a lot of the individual barriers and individual idiosyncrasies. We need it to unite groups of people to focus on what's best for the greater good of the whole. When you do this, it creates confidence, creates a safe environment where people feel they belong, they're worthy, and I would argue they feel love. Our conversation touched on leading with empathy and the importance of fostering human connection at work. Welcome, Angela Ahrens. Thank you, thank you, honored to be here. What makes for meaningful connections? I wanna spend some time on what it means to be human and what it means to connect meaningfully. How do we forge meaningful connections at work in ways that spill over into our lives? It is, I think, one of the greatest gifts that every one of us as humans are given. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to communicate, not just verbally, but with our eyes and our expressions. And, you know, and, and I don't care if that's physically or virtually. Our job as leaders is to look ahead, use our instincts, feel what's coming, and then to unite our teams of people and warn them and pivot and strategize and, but what underpins all of that, Dove, in my humble opinion, is trust, values. Mm. You know, you sum that up brilliantly. You call it moral leadership. Mm. And, and all that moral leadership to me is it is building a foundation of trust. And trust, the word isn't used enough. We don't talk enough about it. But as humans, if we trust each other, you know, and I don't care if we speak the same language, if I feel you and I trust you, 
you know, science. It opens up our prefrontal cortex. We naturally begin to connect on a totally different level. And then we, we start thinking more creatively. We start innovating. We start working closer and closer. And then, and again, I don't care if it's in a marriage dub. I don't care if it's a father-son, you know, in business. So deep values help build deep trust. Deep trust unlocks and unite, unlocks individuals, empowers individuals, but unites groups of people, ordinary people, to collectively do extraordinary things. What are some of the behaviors and ways a leader can live his or her values so as to engender this kind of trust that enables the kind of collaboration that you speak to? You know, Deb, I don't want to oversimplify it, mm -hmm. but throughout my life, I've always tried to put myself in the other person's position. And how would I want to be treated? How would I want to be spoken to? What do I want to feel? You know, I want to feel like I belong to something. You know, in business, nobody talks about love. It's the greatest connector in the world. I want to feel loved. Right. I don't care if it's by my partner, from my kids, in work, you know, I talked about love at Burberry because I was running it and I could, but, but it is such an incredible, so again, you build this trust, you unite, and then it's okay to talk about all of these very basic fundamental human things. You know, I don't think that do unto others is called the golden rule for no reason. So I believe heavily in servant leadership. Put yourself in the other person's position. I've always said my job is just to be the connector, the enabler, which empowers individuals to do great things. It's never about me, ever. Let me, let me push a bit. I get, I mean, there's nothing like love, but we, we came of age where we said you want love. That's in your relationships, in your family, with your loved ones. Your dog loves you unconditionally, but we're talking about business. And we came of age in business where we didn't hear the word love, or we, we didn't hear the word hope. People say, hope is not a strategy. I want a plan, I want a budget. Show me how you're gonna get from A to B. And nothing animates us more than hope and love, yet it's been crowded out. Uh, let's be explicit. You're saying that in the context of business, at a company, a centralizing, central animating ethos should and can be love. Yeah, because again, let's throw a little bit of data behind it, right? The rates of loneliness in the U.S. have doubled right. in the last 40 years. One in four people in the U.S. today feel lonely and isolated. And I shouldn't say today, that was before COVID. One in four. And the worst part is the under 30 are feeling even more lonely and more isolated. And that's why, Dub, you and I started working together at Apple. You know, we knew that this trend was happening in society. But, but let's take it a step further. Let's look at it into business. 70% of the younger generation do not feel engaged in their work, and 50% of them will leave if they don't feel that their manager is is ethically, you know, morally leading them towards something bigger. I mean, those are massive numbers. So this is business. It is one of the blessings, I think, coming out of COVID. It is going to force managers and force leaders, and I don't care for the word manager, I much prefer leaders, 
but it, it's going to force them to be more compassionate, more empathetic, more caring and selfless. And I mean, to potentially lose half of your young employee base because, because you're not a, an authentic, ethical, moral leader. I mean, that's, that's massive money, Dove, to hire and recruit and train, et cetera. You know, we've talked about uh, that we've gone from an industrial age where we hired hands to a knowledge economy where we hired heads and the smartest heads and the greatest experts to a more human economy where we're hiring hearts and we're through empathy and servant leadership, we're really capturing the hearts of all stakeholders, but especially employees so that they can come together uh, and do great things. And it seems like the pandemic has not forced this new reality, but rather accelerated it. It's game over. Uh, we are in this new world and we're never going back. Fair enough to put it that way to you, Angela? Absolutely. And absolutely, Deb. And not only to throw a bigger challenge on it, you know, game over physically. Right. Now on top of it, we've got to figure out, you know, you and I had a natural connection when we met. When you stood on stage at the Steve Jobs Theater talking to thousands of retail employees about moral leadership, et cetera, you were physically present with them. Now you're not. It is a much bigger challenge right. to, con to continue, you know, everything we believe in our authentic, emotive leadership virtually. Well, you had a deep intuition that whatever the challenge was before, has only profoundly increased and you urged and catalyzed the Howe Institute to study this and uh, your former colleague from Apple uh, and mentee, uh, Christy Sclater, you, uh, she came to the Howe Institute, uh, you know, catalyzed and inspired by you to ask us to work together on a piece of research where we would study uh, the state uh, of human connection. How meaningful, deep and healthy is it in this uh, COVID world. And we, and we also studied the influence of a certain kind of leadership, moral leadership on human connection in a pandemic. We surveyed a thousand professionals and companies around um, the United States. And we asked people to rate their managers. And then we created a scale based on the moral leadership behaviors that we teach. Uh, and we've talked at length about the findings. I'll summarize a few. Moral leaders, in fact, do foster more meaningful connections. And when they do, the people who work for them are four times as likely to feel more connected and more loyal, henceforth, uh, than they were since the start of the pandemic. That in many ways, the pandemic was an opportunity for the right leaders to deepen and make connection uh, more meaningful. So question to you, uh, did, what do you think of these findings? Anything surprise you? Uh, but thank you for urging us to, to do this piece of research. And we're going to keep looking at uh, the state of meaningful connection at work. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the learnings, Dev, are powerful. Powerful. There were a couple of things that surprised me, which were, were interesting, that there were a couple of gender disparities, that women specifically long for that moral leadership. And, and when you have those moral leaders, that upper quartile of leadership, then everything's equal. But women turn off much faster 
when they don't have those moral leaders than typically men do. And I thought it was also interesting that the, how the impact on the younger generation, because you would think that they naturally, you know, they're digital natives, but interesting, the technology exists, the leaders are there, but maybe leaders aren't pivoting and leveraging that technology to really, you know, empower the under 30s. Um, I think the other thing that I found fascinating was that um, flexibility, flexibility in scheduling was the number one thing called out again by the young. And what I, the way I interpreted that was they take the flexibility as you trusting them. And, and I think it's important for every company, not just to live on Zoom, to have meetings and things. This is the new way of working. You know, how are you going to keep your employees engaged and motivated? And how are you as a leader going to authentically, you know, connect, et cetera? I mean, it's, it's, it, they're big changes, but they're not insurmountable. And I, I just think we have to address them head on. And, and again, we're not, we're not ever going back to the way it was. This is, this is one of the greatest shifts that we'll all look back and read on in years to come. Did you know that 86% of employees believe there is an urgent need for moral leadership in the workplace? And 77% of employees believe that moral leadership can be learned. The Howe Institute is proud to offer the NextGen Fellowship for Moral Leadership, designed to help emerging leaders also be moral leaders. Learn how your organization can join the fellowship by visiting our website, thehowinstitute.org. Just uh, circling back, uh, I'm really compelled by what you said. Do you have an intuition on why there was a gender gap or gender differences in, around meaningfulness and the kind of leadership that they're experiencing and what we can learn from that? You know, I, I think it'd be worth pursuing a little bit deeper, the gender as well as the youth, et cetera. The only thing I could think of, Dove, is typically, you know, whether it's children, I think it would be interesting to see, rather than just gender, you know, was family involved? Were there other, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, the women tend to multitask in a household a little bit more than men. And I think women also by nature are more social animals. You know, I, I, and, and that's, there've been enough studies on that as well. So maybe their expectations of their leaders are also slightly higher. And maybe for the first time, there's an opportunity to take two aspects that matter to us profoundly the need to work with dignity and provide and create prosperity and, and economic stability for our families. And at the same time, from a human perspective, to just care for our friends and loved ones. And if they are treated equally by organizations, uh, we could all flourish more. Yeah, I think so. And I also think that it's historic, this nine to five world. I mean, I love what Peter, Peter Drucker in 1993 predicted that, that, you know, traditional work hours, traditional offices were over. I mean, it was nearly 30 years ago. And still pre-pandemic, only half of the companies were even allowing mobile workers. So I don't think anybody was ready, anybody was prepared for it. But it's interesting because when you have trust, then people feel empowered. When they're empowered, they'll do their best work. But if you're still forcing this old nine to five, way of working, I mean, and, and people are sitting all day in front of a, that's not inspiring, that's not empowering, you will not get their greatest work. 
And, you know, it's funny in business, I always used to say the bigger the business, the simpler and more focused the messages need to be if you really wanted to scale them. Mm -hmm. I think the same can be true saying going from a physical form of leadership to a virtual. You can't overly micromanage in a virtual. You can't expect people to sit there. You know, it's, it's not human. It's not, it's not how you, but maybe there's also a way for leaders to focus and to rise up and to simplify. And then if you have that trust built, then just empower, right? Enable, empower teams to do their greatest work. When they do their greatest work, every human isn't on the same time schedule, et cetera. So, so how do leaders do that? And I think there's a moral leadership piece. Absolutely. That's how you build the trust. But I also think that virtual leaders are going to have to, that you've got to pivot and you cannot do things the same way you did it in a traditional office environment. It won't work. And, and the challenge with all this flexibility, people can take this flexibility and go in a, a myriad of different directions and they don't all align. So this type of flexibility has to be created in a context where people know this is what we're getting out of bed to do here. This is what good looks like. So in a virtual world, what are your thoughts on how a leader can shape that shared consciousness and context so that people can take advantage of the flexibility to really add value, you know, in extraordinary ways? It's the multi-billion dollar question of the no. day, Doug. <laughs> well, you've answered no, it but in your prior roles. You've answered that question. Well, again, again, you know, and it's why you did the study, Dev. It's called, I mean, it's simple. It's human connection, yeah. right? Regardless if it's physically or digitally, collectively, we will do extraordinary things. What a great and meaningful conversation with Angela. She's truly an inspiring leader who leads with her heart. Thank you for listening. And thank you to our partners, Levi Strauss & Company, MasterCard, and the Ford Foundation. If you like conversations like this one, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing them. It would mean a lot to us. The Howe Institute for Society seeks to build and nurture a culture of moral leadership, principled decision-making, and values-based behavior to elevate humanity. To learn more about our work, please visit our website, thehowinstitute.org, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at The Howe Institute.